0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world.
1: Mr. Why You First, would you hand me that envelope and let's find out the song you wrote. I think I'll sing your song. I already know what it is. Don't stare at me while I'm singing, would you please? Magic moments, memories we have been sharing, you know that one.
0: Don't you? This, of course, is another fine songwriter, Bert Backerack. Bert, nice
2: to see you. Rest in peace to an American icon, Bert Backerack.
3: Hi, I'm podcast host, professional scientist, and all-around raconteur Chico Alexander, and I'm here to fill in some gaps from the last episode of It Was a Thing on TV which I was not available for because I was on vacation. Ladies, you can pick up a man at a grocery store, but don't ask the checker when all the singles shop unless you want to be looked at as the weird lady who asks when all the singles shop. And don't ask at the Trader Joe's unless you want to meet a guy who asks you, excuse me, have you tried the two-buck chuck? If someone asks where the post office is, point him to your phone, because no one uses the post office anymore. But please save the post office. If someone asks you what your stocks are, point them to your phone. Because nobody uses the newspaper anymore. But please, God, save newspapers. If you have to go to the financial district to look for a man, you're not looking for a man. You're looking for a sugar daddy. Also, don't mess with another person's tie unless you're a trained haberdasher or Steve Harvey. And finally, at the airport asking strangers to watch your stuff. That one was written obviously before TSA, the age of if you see something, say something. But most importantly, if I may quote RuPaul, if you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? And also, if Ben Manot is listening, we're sorry. We're very, very sorry. You warned us not to watch this. And we didn't listen.
4: We're sorry, Ben!
2: (laughs) Uh, What's this about the post office dying? I'm just saying because A, there's a little sign called eBay, but also B, admittedly, it's like the first time I went to the post office in like a year, but I actually mailed something this week. Well, good for you! No, whatever what, what, what you're going to say.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. <laughs> do it,
2: then. Do it, do it, do it. Good for you!
3: <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to my notes. And now, here's the theme music.
2: This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, hey, before I change my mind!
0: I give you Super
3: Train. Episode 349, submission number 915 Finder of Lost Loves. Finder of Lost Loves aired on ABC from September 22, 1984, to April 13, 1985, for 23 episodes.
2: Sing it, Dion Warwick. should note that theme song was written by the legendary, the one and only and the recently deceased, as you heard at the top of the show, Burt Bacharach. And truly guys, is there not a better combination musically than Burt Bacharach and Dionne Warwick?
3: I can't think of one now.
2: Oh my gosh, all the hits they had. Oh yeah. Oh, Oh man. I'll tell you what.
4: The 1960s Casino Royale movie. That Burt Bacharach soundtrack totally makes the movie.
2: And of course, we can't forget about songs like Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. That makes Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Just saying.
4: Oh, and it makes Spider-Man 2, Chico. Because remember that one scene with Peter?
3: Uh, Yes, I do. When he gave up the suit.
4: Yeah. And that one freeze frame... With Dr. Connors that we literally thought her freaking TV was broken.
3: And to this day, I'm like, what the hell was the point of that?
4: What the hell was with that freeze frame, Sam Raimi? Can you explain that to us?
3: He's not going to explain it to
4: us. Is it going to be like a David Lynch thing where he never
3: bothers to explain it to us? It's going to be like one of those things, yes.
4: That will be the spoiler ahead of context. The freeze frame of Toby and Spider-Man 2. Before the... Nothing's worrying, worrying.
3: Me. me. <laughs> but back to the topic of this particular episode. Which... Begins actually in 1960. With a man by the name of Lloyd Schulman. Who went into business to find and reunite people who were long separated by time, distance, and circumstance. In order to proper tell you the story of Finder of Lost Loves, I have to tell you this man's story. Now, obviously, Lloyd Shulman, not with us anymore. He died in 2011. But according to the Los Angeles Times, who came out with the story in 1985, he claims to have located... From 40,000 to 50,000 people since he decided to make it his investigative specialty in 1960. So 1960, 1985, that's 25 years. Gail Parents of Aaron Spelling Productions contacted Shulman about maybe making a series based on his life. They said, and this is Shulman saying... They said they thought I'd make a good subject for a television show. I said, let's do it. And they did. And he went into the production as a technical consultant. But the stories involved complete fiction. Lloyd Schulman would take on the personage of an attorney-turned-private investigator named Carrie Maxwell. And the story of Carrie Maxwell is this. Seven years before the beginning of the series, his wife Katie died. It's never revealed how she died, only that she died. And he uses that as a springboard to launch his very own detective agency, Maxwell Limited, where, with the help of his sister in law, Daisy, his manager Rita, and some guy. We'll explain that in a bit. He is in the business of finding and reuniting people who are separated by time, distance, and circumstance. And this show had a lot of star power, both in the main cast and in the guest cast, because if it's a show from the 70s and 80s being produced by Aaron Spelling, you know what you're getting into. It's a permaplot involving a rotating battery of guest stars, some which are bigger than the cast themselves, playing up different storylines. See Love Boat, comma, The... But before we get to all of the guest stars, let's talk about the main cast. The titular Finder of Lost Loves is played by Tony Franciosa, star of stage, screen, and television. He would have been coming off of such roles as a hat full of rain, a face in the crowd, and tenebrae, as well as a single Golden Globe win but he really made his name on television as one of three main characters in the TV adaptation of the movie Famous, The Name of the Game, called The Name of the Game. Anybody know who the other two are? Well, one of them is a man by the name of Robert Stack.
4: Oh!
3: And the other is a man by the name of Gene Barry. I only mention this because another person who is on the name of the game is Susan St. James. Uh oh. Uh oh. I missed that.
4: Hold on. Pat McAfee, do you want to do your impression of Susan St. James? Uh-oh. <laughs> that was a that's a poor impression. Yeah, Pat.
2: Okay, can I try to add a little factoid in here that may be of some interest? Why, sure. Tony Franciosa's son was a contestant on Match Game in 1998. Oh. And it was actually mentioned on the show that he was Tony Franciosa's son.
3: Playing the role of Daisy... Katie's sister, and subsequently Carrie's sister-in-law, Deborah Adair, who in press releases looked a lot like Summer Bartholomew, but nevertheless is known primarily for your mama's stories. And then we have, as manager Rita Hargrove, a veritable legend of the silver screen, the first woman to play Tess Trueheart in cinema, Tess Trueheart of Dick Tracy, Anne Jeffreys. Y'all know who Anne Jeffries is, right? Sort of. Yeah, like I said, legendary silver screen actress, also played Mitch Buchanan's mother on Baywatch. And there is a fourth guy in the agency. For the first half of the season, it was Brian Fletcher, who is played by Richard Cantor, who is just a that guy from that thing. But for the remainder of the series, it was Lyman Whitaker, who is this con man made good, played by Larry Flash Jenkins. From Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Fletch and body double. But aside from those people, you have this rotation of guest stars who are doing guest shots on Aaron Spelling shows in the 80s. You know the kind. They have their own portholes on the love boat.
4: Time out for a second. I just discovered Larry Flash Jenkins was the guy riding shotgun in Cameron's car in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Wow. Hold on a second. Hey, Corky, what do you think Cameron's reaction is going to be when he finds out the mileage on his dad's core?
2: You won't believe what happened.
3: So, yeah, all of this is happening in media res. The closest we ever get to see of Katie Maxwell is a painting of her in Carrie's house which is a really big house if you've ever seen the pilot. He lives in this big old mansion, almost Dynasty-esque, and he moves back in when he decides, you know, sometime to spend his fortune to establish the detective agency. But all of this is happening in media res. The whole pilot begins with, a room full of people who are celebrating Carrie Maxwell being the finder of lost loves. Right down to the uh, shot of everybody singing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. They're just having a party in his honor. I mean, it's not his birthday or anything, it's just a party in his honor. And that's the way the pilot starts. It's a 90 minute pilot, and aside from that, we have a wealthy man looking to reunite with his first love and a girl looking for her fiancé who has disappeared. And that aired on Saturday night in 1984 out of the love boat. So you would think, it's like a glove. Everything's good. But guys, because this was a 90-minute pilot, And because this was like a movie-quality pilot, you have to imagine that the guest-starring cast is going to be absolutely huge. I'm not even going to go over what everybody's been in. I'm just going to read the names here.
2: Yeah, you might want to make a sandwich. We might be here for a little while. I'm already out
3: of (laughs) you.
2: I'm talking to the audience. They may want (laughs) to make a sandwich. Okay
3: guest starring in this one pilot Melissa Sue Anderson Michael Constantine Steve Forrest Hope Lang Monty Markham William R. Moses Vic Tabak and Marshall Wallace
2: Among others
3: Among others, yes and uh, of course Gail Parent wrote this with the help of show Bible creators Jill Bear and Christopher Vane. And from there, we go on to episode two, Yesterday's Child, in all of its one-hour-long glory. Carrie is asked to find the American father of a Vietnamese girl. All Carrie has to go on is an old photo. He uses his connections and eventually finds the man who denies being her father. While Carrie tries to find a way to help her, he takes her in and bonds with her. Meanwhile, a woman from St. Louis calls, asking for help to locate someone. She meets with Daisy and tells her that she's about to get married, but a letter sent to her by an old boyfriend seven years ago just arrived, and in it, he professes his love for her. She wants to find him and tell him why she didn't respond. Daisy finds him, and when they meet him, They discover he's married, only not to a person. What, is he married to his job or something? Among the guest stars in this episode are Mary Crosby as Blythe Stewart, the uh, lady who gets the letter, John James, Dean Jones, Michelle Phillips, Michael Goodwin, Heather O'Rourke, and in a before-they-were-famous sort of role, playing the little Vietnamese girl, Lindsay Price, who we talked about in previous episode, Coupling. This was before she met Curtis Stone, obviously. Episode 3, Losing Touch. Carrie helps a woman in finding her missing twin sister while Daisy helps a female attorney track down a past love, now a small-town doctor. And for this episode, IMDb actually has a clipping from the TV Guide. The search for a long-lost twin ends with a bizarre twist. Guest stars Christopher Norris and Pamela Bellwood of Dynasty. Meanwhile, as the small-town doctor David Carson, we have Ben Murphy. Episode. White Lies Carrie must track down a married woman's former lover to save her dying son. Daisy helps Travis Burke, a trucker find the woman he fell in love with after hearing her voice on a CB radio
4: You know, with a title with White Lies, I thought it was going to be about something else
3: I'm not going to ask what you're thinking
4: White Lies I was making a joke about cocaine.
3: That's why I didn't ask what you were thinking. Anyway, playing the role of Travis Burke, the trucker, Lee McCloskey.
2: But hey, some more big names in this episode. Much bigger, much bigger than Lee McCloskey, with all due respect to Lee McCloskey. Playing Dennis Hodges in this episode, Dick Sargent. I don't think we've made a reference to Dick Sargent in the previous 348 episodes. I think this is a landmark occasion. Woo!
3: I forgot, was he the second Darren or the first Darren?
2: He was the second Darren, because Dick York was the first Darren.
3: That's what I thought. Thank you.
2: And one of Greg's favorites played Commander Zach Donahue on this episode. John Saxon! Oh yes, John Saxon! Which, by the way, I'm going
4: to get a protective case for that John Saxon Americana card. It's coming in the mail, so... Nice.
2: Wait, it's coming in the mail? I thought you already had one.
4: No, I don't have a case for it, though. Oh, the ca- Oh, oh. I have the card. I don't have a case for it.
2: You don't have any card shops around there?
4: I do have a card shop around me, but it's like they don't sell, like, big, thick cases like that.
2: What the heck? Card shop doesn't sell thick cases. That's a card shop that you should never go to again, my friend. You
3: don't need that negativity in your life, my friend.
2: No, and and I'm not even joking, Greg. If I open up my little drawer here of all the supplies for my card collecting, I have literally four different packs of card cases of different thicknesses. And I got them all at the local card shop. Don't tell me. Oh, I'm not not talking about plastic cases. I mean,
4: like uh, the protective, like, Magnetic case, that's what I mean.
1: That,
2: But seriously, you, you, your card shop doesn't carry one touches? Like this? Okay, who's that? Even it's CJ it. Spiller, it's just the top card I have. Okay. That's but they don't sell this type of magnetic case? What the hell? What the hell? Seriously, that card shop must be the bankiest card shop on Long Island, if not the jankiest card shop in North America! And is just being quiet. He's like, you two fight it out. I'm not getting in the
3: middle of this, because A, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, and B, I just don't like getting in the middle of things.
2: Oh, and maybe I should use this card instead. Oh, Vicky. Vicky Lawrence, yes, but it's in a snap-tight, a, snap a, a, a one-touch. That's
3: a good card. That's a good case. Mike, you are on top of
2: well, I, I've only had this card in this case for, like, 16 years. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it's Vicki Lawrence before I met her. So,
3: And yes. if Vicki Lawrence is listening, hi.
2: Sup? I saw you in Pittsburgh two months ago.
3: Episode 5, Echoes. Daisy is hired to reunite two Holocaust survivors, and Carrie searches for a woman disappeared on her wedding day, and there are a whole lot of guest stars on this episode playing the role of one of the survivors, I'm guessing, Morris Mendakovich, Harold Gould.
4: Ooh, Harold Gould.
3: Yeah, he is a legend.
2: Yeah, we've talked about it in the past. Mm-hmm. He was uh, one of the boyfriends of one of the Golden Girls. I forget who it was. Probably not uh, Blanche. I'm thinking uh, Dorothy. I think I was one of Dorothy's boyfriends at one Uh, point. It wasn't Rose, and it wasn't Sophia, I don't think. So it had to be uh, Dorothy.
3: uh, Yeah, I'm trying to figure out on what episode it was on the Golden Girls.
2: Well, it wasn't an episode. I think it was maybe for a season or a stretch of episodes. It definitely wasn't a single episode, I would say.
3: Okay, he played Miles Weber. He was in 13 episodes as Miles Weber, and he returns for two episodes of The Golden Palace, which we talked about on this show.
2: Okay, so he had a little bit of a run. But, oh yeah, there are names on this episode. Harold Gould's a big one, but uh, we got got more. more. I I got another one. Uh,
3: Playing the other... Person from the uh, concentration camp. Colleen Dewhurst played Rachel Green on that episode. Again, legendary. Robert Westfall was looking for his fiancée and playing Robert Westfall was Richard Hatch. Not Survivor Richard Hatch. Battlestar Galactica Richard Hatch. yes. And his parents were played by Tony Sawyer and Byron Morrow. So just so we have the whole family together.
2: And, and throw out another name. There's an, uh, even another name beyond all the ones you've said.
3: And Sherman, the runaway bride, as it were, is played by Donna Pesco. Who, A, we would know from Saturday Night Fever and something we're going to cover later on this year. And B played the mama. <laughs> she played. She played Shia LaBeouf's mama on Even Stevens.
2: Yes. Now, come on. No. No. But... No. 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 I'm not saying no. She didn't. But you're like totally skipping the fact that she played the mother on Out of This World. That's right. Why did I forget that? Why the hell did
3: I forget that?
2: Yeah. Why did you forget that? How you dare, bad chica, bad. Okay. Yeah. How dare you forget that? How dare you disrespect? Evie on Out of This World, not Evie missing her Ethel mom pie.
3: Garland.
2: Yeah, don't
4: you kids know her from Even Steve? But real fans the remember real her ones. from the real ones, like us. Remember for her from Out of This
2: World? Damn right we do. I forgot Out of This World. Bullcrap oh, crap! had joel Lassie, damn it!
3: The voice of Daffy Duck.
2: Well, no, hold on. And the voice of Couch Potatoes, too. Let's not forget that. He was the announcer on Couch Potatoes.
3: He was the announcer.
2: Let's not forget the tie that I have to Out of This World, because my Little League baseball coach, when I was in fourth grade, uh, is Steve Burton, and he was the boyfriend of Evie on Out of This World. That's my personal connection. I mentioned that in episode 61. Go back. Yes.
3: Something we also mentioned. He was in your mama's stories, but was fired because he wouldn't take the shot. Because he believes things.
2: He wasn't a very smart Little League baseball coach. I should not <laughs> mention that.
3: Episode 6. Goodbye, Sarah. Carrie tries to find a man's granddaughter. He finds her and learns she's a drunk. Carrie doesn't bring her to her grandfather. Instead, he takes care of her. Daisy airs her concern, but he ignores her. By the way, in case you haven't noticed by now, Daisy happens to be very, very close to Carrie. You want to talk about a lost love? She's right there. Playing Sarah, the lady who's a drunk, somebody we talked about on this show... Honey, Celica.
4: Oh yeah, we talked about her all the way back in episode 15, Flying High. Mm-hmm. And of course, and... she was on The Greatest American Hero and Hotel. Let's so yeah. not forget that.
3: Yeah, I believe we might be one season away from Hotel.
4: Either so... that or it premiered the
2: next year. Yeah, there you go. No, no, didn't Hotel premiere in eighty four or eighty three? Because that's right, that's right. I mean, Nathan Cook promoted it on Match Game in Hollywood Squares. That's right. Okay, yeah. I got my. I was like, I have my fault
3: promotions mixed up. I thought the eighty four one was for eighty five, and the eighty five one was for eighty four. Because I well, remember first hearing about this show, The Finder of Lost Loves, as part of a We're With You spot in eighty five or eighty four. There I go.
4: Yeah. Yeah, We're With You was 84, but hold on a second. It had to have been before 85, because remember, freaking uh, James Brolin was in that one seated Pee Wee's Big Adventure as Pee Wee at the end of the movie, remember? And
3: you know who played Dottie in that? It wasn't E.G. Daly. No. It was Morgan Fairchild.
4: And you know what that gives us an excuse to play?
2: You're gorgeous. Hey, since we just mentioned Match Game Hollywood Squares literally like 90 seconds ago. But not
3: the biggest name on this episode. Yes, she was the big guest star, but not the biggest name on this episode. We have, playing the role of Nick was Joey Tata, who would be on another Aaron Spelling production in about, oh, five or ten years. Beverly Hills, that an 2-1-0. And playing the role of Nellie, Esther Roll. Damn, damn, damn! And playing the grandfather, Oliver Hawthorne, Lou Ayers, the younger listeners would remember him as Mr. Moody on Save Brother the Bell. Mr. Moody! This is Mr. Moody,
4: and I'm in a bad Moody... I'm sure Zach has
3: schemes to like
4: fool him or such on Saved by the
3: Bell. He was a boss on at the mall, so yes. Okay. He was in the Christmas episode.
4: Oh, that's right—the Christmas episode with the homeless
3: guy and his oh. equally homeless daughter.
4: Yeah, that was a very, uh, very touching Christmas episode of Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Hold on. Uh-huh. We never saw them again. And you know why?
3: Don't say it.
4: They probably no.
3: effing killed themselves. But yeah, he made his mint playing Dr. Kildare, Dr. James Kildare, in a series of movies from the 30s and 40s. We also have a person playing concessionaire Diana Bellamy, who I remember seeing her on many episodes of Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad as the Lunch Lady. I just wanted to point that out.
4: And any excuse to mention Matthew Warren. on this Hell podcast? yeah! Whoa, whoa.
3: Episode 7 Undying Love. A man who is wrongfully and illegally imprisoned seeks his wife. And Daisy finds her, but she's remarried. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. And Carrie is asked by a man to locate a girl whom he sees every day but is too shy to approach. Among the guest stars in this episode, Melanie Marin, who would go on to uh, play on 30-something, obviously. Edward Winter, who would go on to play in, well, everything. And Dick Van Patten. Not much needs to be said. He's Dick freaking Van Patten.
4: Oh yes, Dick Van Patten. And by the way, since we brought up Dick Van Patten, that gives me the excuse to show off what I just put in the Facebook
3: chat. Oh, nice! Fabric swatch card. What is this? Another Don Russ Americana?
2: Yes, it is. Nice. It's always Don Russ Americana when we're talking about celebrities. No wait, is that yours or is that something you found on like eBay? That's mine. I got it last September. Oh, that's cool.
3: That was a
2: nice pull. When did this turn into the trading card report? This is like Uh, what? The the second or third trading card we mentioned this episode. Oh, look, it's Dick Van Patten Americana swatch card. Oh, it's a Vicky Lawrence autograph swatch card from the same series of Americana. Oh, we need to find the uh, one touch for Greg's Americana card of John Saxon. That should be like a running gag from now on. Were they on an Americana card? Odds are, the answer is yes. Yep. Boy, let's go to the next episode to see if there's anybody who's on an Americana card.
3: I'm almost certain there is. Okay, there probably is. Episode 8, Old Friends. A youngster asks Daisy to find Louis, his grandfather, who may have disappeared on purpose, and Barbara Henson, a fashion designer, clings to old dreams after being reunited with her high school idol. Let's talk about Walter Lewis first. It's played by Buddy Epson.
4: Oh, the, Buddy Epson.
3: The Buddy Epson. Talking. Beverly Hill Barnaby Jones.
2: What else has he done?
3: I don't know.
2: He was almost the tin man in The Wizard of Oz.
4: Oh yeah, That's, but He got an allergic reaction to the yep. makeup.
3: There you go.
2: Right. And also I think Second time this episode in the previous three hundred forty eight episodes, I don't think we've mentioned Buddy Ebsen.
3: Nope. You would think that he would be on a lot more than. Anyway,
2: and well, hold on. Oh. Wait, wait. Hold. Oh. Well, also talking about you know stuff that he's been on. Did we not mention Barnaby Jones? I just mentioned him. Yeah, it was Fuck a community. My short term. Me- I-, I feel like Tom Hanks, Mister Short Term Memory. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Tony Randall! Can hey, you're it? Tony Randall.
0: <laughs>
2: hey, you're Tony
4: Randall. What is this? Tony Randall? Just hand these off to people you meet? That's it! <laughs> what do you ask me for it. Wow,
2: Tony Randall!
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, boy.
2: That, that, that's one of the best skits of all time. <laughs> hey, you're hey, Randall. Randall. <laughs> hey, you're
0: Tony Randall. Hey, you're Tony Randall.
2: <laughs> I may keep that in the episode. That's too you damn might, funny. To I might, might have
0: to.
3: I was gonna go into the guy who played his uh grandson, but F that. No. Let's talk about Hey, you're Tony Randall. No. Now, speaking of, his grandson, Jeremy, is played by Mackenzie Aston Of course, Sean's little brother. John's son. One of John's sons.
2: Well, one of John's sons, yes.
3: And I believe he would be a year or two removed from being on the Facts of Life as Andy.
2: Yes. Hey, another big name in this episode, Blaine Barber Henson.
3: The fashion designer we talked about.
2: Jan Smithers from WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh,
3: I was always more of a Bailey type than a uh, Jennifer type, just saying.
2: Duh. <laughs> Did you really have to admit that? Of course you were. We all were. Sorry, Jan Smithers. <laughs>
3: uh, one more name on this episode playing Tom Warren, Alan Fudge from. <laughs>
2: Get it out of your system. Yes, Greg. Greg please, just—I know what you're going to say, Greg. Just release it, please. You know what? If he had his own line of fudge, he could have called it
4: Fudge's Fudge. Is
2: fudge. <laughs> no, no. What I was hoping you're going to say, Greg, is the line from A Christmas Story.
4: Oh, oh, fudge. Oh, yeah, fudge.
2: The F word. Yeah. Oh, fudge. <laughs> Fudge's fudge. I like that better.
3: He is in a show that we are going to cover again later this year. Let's just say he and Patrick Duffy were really good friends. Episode 9, Portraits. A man wants to find the woman in a painting. When he meets her, he doesn't seem to make a connection with her. And a woman fears that her ex-husband has kidnapped her son and asks Carrie to find him. So, we have our couple, the uh, couple in question about the uh, kidnapped son. Oh god, this whole family is stacked. Okay, playing Ray Powell is John Beck. Who was, if I'm not mistaken, in Rollerball as Moon Pie.
4: The original, not the 2001 version, Chris Klein.
3: Yeah. His wife, Lynn, is played by Joyce DeWitt from Three's Company.
2: Hey, since we're playing the new game, were they in Americana, Joyce DeWitt? Yes, she was.
4: Oh, yes. Mm -hmm.
2: And if you heard
4: the Superdome commercial break, she was rocking that tap dancing for those
3: pantyhose. Yes, she was. Playing their son, Matthew. Barrett Oliver, one year after playing Bastion in The NeverEnding Story.
4: That's right. And you know who played his dad in The NeverEnding Story?
3: No, I don't. Gerald McGraney. Oh. They look different than the guys who they played in the sequel. Just saying.
4: Oh, the guy who they played in the sequel. Yeah, we'll be yep. talking about that guy, too. Provided Ezra Don't do anything between now and June. Don't
3: so that's your A plot. Your B plot involves Lee Meriwether, Michael Nader, Molly Cheek, and in a pre Prices Right role, Kyle A letter.
2: What? Lee Merriweather? Susan Americana. Yes. Like I said, it's, it's a new segment that's just uh, like sprouting from this episode. Were they in Americana at some point? Yes, it looks like Lee Merriweather and Joyce DeWitt were both in the second series of Americana in 2008.
4: Okay, but, but let, but let
2: also, me po- hold on. But, I got to point this
4: out before you move on. Okay. In Batman 66, the movie, do you remember the fake alias she used to fool Bruce Wayne was? <laughs> Miss Kitka. Oh, that's not obvious that freaking Catwoman is Miss Kitka. That's not like an obvious clue right
3: there. I always thought that was the Julie Newmar Catwoman.
4: Well, she was the Catwoman in the movie because they couldn't get Julie Newmar in the movie. Okay, Mike, move on. What's the other
2: one? All right. And also, uh, we mentioned Molly Cheek. We just talked about her a couple of weeks ago because she played Nancy Bancroft The occasional love interest of Gary Shandling on Gary Shandling's show? Was she like a love interest or was she just more of a neighbor?
3: She was just more of a neighbor.
2: Oh, but you know Gary wanted to shack up with her.
3: Does Gary Shandling, and it's Gary Shandling's show, look like the kind of guy who would shack up with somebody?
2: Dude's got needs. Don't tell me he doesn't have needs.
3: I know he got married in a very notorious uh, two-parter.
2: Okay, so we'll say she's the neighbor, not the love interest. Yeah. We're, we're not really, lo- yeah. Now that I think about it, it wasn't really a love interest. She was more of just the next door neighbor. But also, little thing I want to add about Kyle a letter since you mentioned her. Yeah. You know who her mother is? Who's her mother? We just talked about her because she was an Americana too, Lee Merriweather. This
3: explains so much. Episode the 10th. Episode the 10th? A gift. A student dancer who has been receiving financial assistance from an anonymous donor tries to find out who it is. When the man is discovered, he wants to remain anonymous. But when her boyfriend, who wants her to quit dancing so that she can be his trophy wife, claims it's him and convinces her to quit... He has to decide to come forward, and a woman wants to find a woman whom she claims is an old friend, but the woman claims she doesn't know her. She admits she's the birth mother of the woman's daughter, and wants to see her because she is dying. Lots of names in this particular episode. Uh, Playing the two friends, Nora Spencer and Marion Owens Norris... Elder Parker and Barbara Rush, both Hollywood legends, I should say. And then you have two other big names in this episode, playing Stuart Scranton, Grant Goody, from 8 is Enough. We talked about Dick Van Patten, now we're talking about Grant Goody. And then, a guy who looks like he wants a trophy wife, playing Ted Keaton, Peter Scolari. Episode 11, Forgotten Melodies. Carrie helps a man suffering from amnesia find out who he is. He discovers that the man has a wife in Arizona whom he brings to and is happy to see him. It seems he's been missing for four years. When Carrie returns to L.A., though, a woman asks him to find her husband, who's missing, and when she shows him his photograph, It's the same man he just brought to Arizona. And it seems he sustained amnesia four years ago. Meanwhile, Daisy helps a man who is the business manager for a famous singer whom she believes has fallen on hard times.
1: That's hard time! All right.
3: This is going to be one of those episodes where everybody's a guest star, it seems like. George Matthews is the, uh, Amnesiac, I guess you could say. He's played by Mel Ferrer. And playing one of the uh, people, one
0: of the people he was married
3: to, Carol Lindley. And another person he was married to, Cassie Yates. Meanwhile, the manager in the B-plot is played by Bo Hopkins, From The Dynasty. And the singer who's fallen on hard times, Leela Armstrong, played by Lawrence Henderson. Oh. Carol Brady herself. And then there was Don Marshall, but the most notable thing he's done was Land of the Giants. Which is quite notable if you think about it. Episode 12, Last Wish. A dying man hopes to make amends for drowning his son years before. And Jennifer Avery, a woman with a past, believes she has no future with Tom Lindsay, a businessman who fell in love with her on a Hawaiian vacation.
4: He drowned his son? Yeah. Should he be in
3: jail? I'm pretty sure it was an accident. Oh, okay. But y'all, so many guest stars on this episode. We have, as Jennifer Avery, Susan Blakely. She was in uh The Towering Inferno and Over the Top, Greg. She was in Over the Top.
4: Oh, yeah. You know who was in Over the Top?
3: Sylvester Stallone. That's why I mentioned it.
4: Yeah, but you know who else was in Over the Top, guys?
3: Who? Robert Loja. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Terry Punk was also over the
3: top. <laughs> oh, God. Not Terry Funk. Are we going to talk about Terry Punk again? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
4: but, oh, my God. It's Robert Loja. Drink your orange juice, kids. Yeah.
2: Robert, Robert Loja. That's Robert Loja. <laughs> ah, isn't Robert Loja. Oh, isn't, oh, my gosh. That's Robert Loja.
4: Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, hold on a second. Time out. I got to do a little search
3: real quick. Okay, while you do a search real quick, I'm going to mention the other half of that A-plot, Tom Lindsay, played by Michael Gross.
4: Oh, terrific. And let's remember, he was Ted Mosby's dad on How I Met Your Mother, (laughs) in addition to being the dad on Family Ties, But hold on a second.
0: This is CNN
4: Breaking News. Guys?
3: Over the top is on Tubi! And meanwhile, in the B-plot, we have... Norman Prentiss, played by... McDonald Carey, who you would remember as... The voice of Days of Our Lives. He was the guy who said... Like sands through the hourglass... Yada, yada, yada. And James Hutton... From Knott's Landing was also in this episode. Along with Kay Lenz and Morgan Stevens? Really? What? Morgan Stevens from uh, Fame and Murder One and all that. Episode 13. Deadly Silence. A man hires Carrie to look for his daughter. When he finds her and tells her his father is looking for her, she doesn't believe it but when Carrie takes her to see him, he pulls a gun, but Carrie helps her escape. And a woman asks Daisy to find the man she met a few months ago while on vacation, whom she connected with, and when they agree to meet at the airport, they leave, but he didn't show up. She wants Daisy to find him, and when she does, he gives him some lame reason as to why he didn't meet her. The A-plot involves a man by the name of Malcolm Beck and playing Malcolm Beck is Tom Tom Bosley
4: did he look no
3: and in the B plot we have a lady by the name of Stacy Barnes who is played by Leah Ayers aka Fake Ass Marsha from the Brady's dramedy back in the 90s
2: oh god yeah well hold on two other things that I think we should mention about her. Uh-huh. She was on the TV version of 9 to 5. If you remember that. I do. And I think that's got to be a cover one day. We need to cover that. But also, just because everything goes back to this show, she was on a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Because of course she was. Chica's in so much shock that There is a Match Game Hollywood Squares reference here. Oh my gosh! I know!
3: Episode 14, Wayward Dreams. Dr. Eric Jordan wants to find the son he fathered through artificial insemination, and Carrie hopes to save a young centerfold model from a life she may regret. Playing Eric Jordan, Jack Coleman, a.k.a. one of the sons of Blake Carrington on Dynasty, aka the man in the horned rim glasses on heroes. Playing the B plot model, Cindy Murdoch, Heidi Bohe. From Hotel! Also from Hotel, yes. Yeah, it's two references to Hotel. And again, Hotel premiered
2: in 1983. Because Nathan Cook promoted it on Match Game Hollywood. Oh, another Match Game Hollywood <laughs> Oh my gosh! That's I would have thought you were going to break Hollywood out Squares the... Hour.
3: I oh, thought you were going to break out the pyramid.
2: No, I'm... it's all about Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour here. I- I- if anything, I would have broken out a reference to Hollywood Squares with. The
4: By the way, if you had a drinking game right now on how many mentions of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour take a drink every time you mention it, you'd probably be dead by now.
3: Probably. But don't die. Anyway. Speaking of which, this would be the last episode to feature Richard Cantor as Brian Fletcher. Nobody knows what happened to him. It's never mentioned. He just was put on a bus and sent to another series. So, if you ask me, I think now is the perfect time to take a break and listen to some era-appropriate commercials. We'll be back with Larry Flash Jenkins and the rest of the run right after this.
0: After these messages, we'll be right back. When it comes to afternoon fun, nobody plays the games like Channel 7. Let's play Jeopardy! At 4, it's the brand-new Battle of the Brain Busters. What are a pencil and an eraser? You'll be surprised to see just how much you know on New York's newest trivia test, Jeopardy! All right, that's terrific. I can do it in four notes. At 4.30. Name it. It's the big money showdown that can make your afternoon. Unforgettable. You've done it! Play along with a $100,000 name that tune, starting Monday at 4.30 on Channel 7. Sunday, Hardcastle's playing Judge on TV. I'm not through here. You can do your commercial later. And becomes the latest craze. You're the Michael Jackson at Justice. But he's scripted for murder. Hardcastle and McCormick. Then, Burt Reynolds. Woo! Dolly Parton. Ta-da! And Carl Durning are breaking all the rules. Come on over here and give me a little lip lock. It's the best little whorehouse in Texas. Friend Discretion Advised. All starting at 8, 7 Central. Tomorrow, Now, taco pizza is at Pizza Hut. And ever since he's tried it, Harry's been like a different person. Ah, señora tanto gusto. First, I thought, it's the crust. He's crazy for the crust. Me he divertido muchísimo. And then I thought, Mm. well, maybe it's the real taco toppings Mm. like beef and cheddar cheese and tomatoes. Stupendo. But now, I don't even care. Because whatever it is, we'll be back tomorrow. (laughs) Taco pizza. Now at Pizza Hut. Fantastico. In my opinion, this is a great new coffee. Bold, dark, Nescafé Brava. Just because I like it doesn't make it right for you. That's exactly why Nescafé has created four new custom blended coffees. For the first time, you can have coffee made to taste your way. Bold, dark, Brava, Traditional classic. Smooth, refined silica. or natural decaf. Each one custom blended, each one visibly different. I've got mine. Now you decide. Which one's made to taste your way? Nescafé. Wednesday. I saw somebody push Mark Jennings. I saw my mother. The verdict is in. We the jury, if I'm the defendant. On Dynasty. Then on Hotel, Victoria Cabot battles against drugs. You're hooked on that stuff. You're fired. All starting at 9, 8 Central and Mountain. Wednesday.
3: back to the show. Welcome back. Or if you're just listening to us, where have you been? As I mentioned before the break, that was the last episode that featured Richard Cantor as Brian Fletcher, the girl-crazy Brian Fletcher. Now we get into the more mature, more streetwise Lyman Whitaker, former con artist turned good, played by Larry Flash Jenkins, who uh, Greg mentions was the wheel man in Ferris Bueller. After this episode, he joins up in... An official capacity. Although, he's never given a face credit. He's always billed as a guest star. So we go to From the Heart, which is episode 15. An advice columnist and the woman he was helping discover they both have reason to hide their identities. And a couple unable to cope with the loss of their daughter faces the dissolution of their marriage. Okay, so. The advice columnist, Mark Stafford, Played by Ted Shackelford from The Knots Landing. And the woman he was helping, Kathy Cullen, played by Karen Kay from previous entry, It's Your Move. And apparently was also in Blansky's Beauties. Thanks, Pop. And the couple who were struggling with the loss of their child, the Sanderson's, Helen Sanderson is played by Lois Nettleton. Was she on a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares? I want to say she was. Or maybe I'm thinking of Twyla Littleton. No, she wasn't. Uh, I was thinking of Twyla Littleton then.
2: What? There's your buzzard. Wrong. (laughs) Okay. And... (laughs) Wait, how do you get Twyla Littleton and Lewis Nettleton? Their names sound the same. One's an old bag and the other's Twyla Littleton. (laughs) One has the 36's and the other never had the 30. Hey, did you just make another match game of Highland Squares (laughs) reference? (laughs) Okay. Anyhow, her husband, husband Tim
3: is played by Robert Reed
2: who was not on Match Came Out with Squares Hour, but however, he was on Stumpers. He was on the final episode of Stumpers, I believe, the final week. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Mr. Brady was on Stumpers. There you go. We fit our quota of Stumpers references for the
3: week. All right, are you going to work on 50 Grand Slam now?
2: Don't challenge me. (laughs) No, you know that 50 Grand Slam didn't have celebrities' goof? I know.
3: So how are we going to do
2: that quota, then?
3: I don't know. Maybe somebody went on to become an actor. Maybe a former contestant went on to become an actor. I don't know. I don't know how Hollywood works. Episode 16, Aftershocks. An adopted woman searches for her biological mother, a councilwoman whose political aspirations come first, and Colonel Matthew Vale, a retired army hero, Yearns to be reunited with the woman he left behind when he went to war.
2: Oh my gosh, the names in this episode.
3: Oh God. You know, the guy who plays Matthew Bale alone, you know? Oh,
2: yes. And I guarantee he was in Americana because I pulled out an autographed card of his in Americana in 2011. Say the name. Leslie Motherfather Nielsen. So yes, there's another person that was in Americana that was on this series.
4: And you know what? You, you say, surely we can't be serious that Leslie Nielsen was in Tonres Americana. But we are serious. And don't call him Shirley. Oh, but that's not the only
2: name.
3: Nope. Playing the role of Alice Taylor Hancock, Paula Kelly. From A, the first season of Night Court, and B, at least one week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour.
2: Zico, I love you. Thank you for doing the Lord's work. (laughs) But also, she's just multi-talented. Let's just not pigeonhole her to Night Court. She did so many things.
3: Oh, yeah. She's a dancer, you know. And playing Philip Lawton in this episode, Shay Farrell. Shay Farrell from The Untouchables, The Practice. What else was he on? I know he was on a lot of things back in the day. Um, Hotel. He He was on Hotel. It all comes back to Hotel on this episode, doesn't it?
2: Funny enough, it does.
3: Episode 17, Tricks. Carrie's reunion with his old flying buddies is marred by deception and bitterness. And a reunited family copes with the mother's secret.
2: Hey, let's throw some more names out. All right. Playing Linda Hudson and Lynette Beaumont in this episode, Kathy Lee Crosby. Ooh. You
4: know what I have to say about that.
2: No, no, inc- don't, no, Greg. no, no, Greg! No,
4: no, 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 don't do it, Greg! Don't do it! That's incredible! Oh, he did it. <laughs> hey, hold on a uh, second. You know who else was on that? That's incredible, guys. Well, let me guess. French Fr- Harkenton.
3: Yeah, yes! that guy.
2: But also... We're just squeezing out all the hits tonight. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but there's other names in this episode. There, there, are other, there are
3: other names in this episode.
2: Yes.
4: Hold on a second. Let me do this.
2: Playing bad Hulk, Hulk.
4: Tony Roberts. And you know why I mentioned Tony Roberts? Because he was in the 1971 Walt Disney masterpiece. Million Dollar Duck. With Dean Jones and Sandy Duncan.
2: It always goes back to Million Dollar Duck with you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's about a duck
4: that gets radiation and it lays golden eggs. Gene Siskel, how dare you walk out of this movie?
0: You don't, you don't know
2: about Orr. Okay. Oh, boy. So, oh wait a boy. second. Wait, wait, wait. I, I have a, a, a comment to say. You said it laid golden eggs, like million-dollar eggs? Yes. Isn't that, like, what a dozen eggs cost nowadays? <laughs> Only because of the bird flu. Oh, is that they, the excuse? Okay. That's,
3: yes, yes. It's a a scientifically proven fact that chicken populations are declining because of bird flu.
2: Okay, I I thought it had to do with the fact that I only eat chicken nowadays, it seems. The chicken population is going down.
3: I'm eating chicken right now, actually.
2: The reason that the chicken population is going down is because that's all I eat. Damn that guy in Ohio. But hey, more people, let's throw out more names. Playing Beth Reynolds in this episode, Phyllis Davis, who you might remember from Vegas. Yep. So she was a co-star of Bart Braverman's, Greg. I just know how much you love Bart Braverman around here. And we've talked about him in the past. But also playing Mike Dayton in this episode is Robert Fuller. Nothing for Robert Fuller?
3: I'm trying to look to see what he was in. It, Emergency? It, it, oh, there you go.
2: He was maybe the best bluffer in Hollywood Square's history.
3: And speaking of bluffing, he was also in the 1994 movie version of Maverick.
2: So yeah, this is loaded with guest stars.
3: And Jared Martin, who plays Evan Sulman in this episode, played a technician in the original movie version of Westworld. So yes, he dies in the end of that. Episode 18, Haunted Memories. A man asks Carrie to find the woman he sees in passing that he believes to be his deceased wife, only to find she has ulterior motives. While Daisy helps a man find the son he fathered years ago during a brief romance.
2: We got stars.
3: So many stars.
2: Well, I only see like three or four names, but we got stars. Playing Gabe McGuire in this uh, episode,
3: I'm guessing he's the father looking for the son.
2: He'd be of that age, so I think that's a fair assumption. Robert Goulet.
3: Oh, pop, 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 pop.
2: Not the first time we've talked about him, though, because nope. we-, we talked about him in TV Funhouse.
3: That is correct.
2: Bob Goulet, <laughs> Robert Goulet here, and of course, when we talk about Robert Goulet. Greg, we got to mention the Naked Gun uh, two and a half.
4: Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he was uh,
2: Quentin Haspers.
4: But also remember, don't swim in raw sewage. I love it.
3: And playing the son he never knew he had, Adam Hill, Lance Kerwin, who unfortunately recently passed away himself. You probably remember him from James at fifteen. He was James at 15. And then in the B-plot, we have Brad Evans played by David Groh.
2: And I think this would be an appropriate time to do a correction. So let's get this uh, sounder up there, Greg. A couple of weeks ago, we had talked about celebrities who... Were contestants on Pyramid back in the day, and I inadvertently mentioned that David Grow was a contestant and then became a celebrity. I thought we were talking by about David Graff, Graf. yeah, but I said David Grow, so I wanted to make that little correction. I meant David Graff because David Grow was not in the police academy movies, David Graff was, yes, and also David Grow, as we said. Couple weeks ago, he was the husband on Rhoda, but he was never on Pyramid. As far as we, well, you know what? I better check that because I'll probably put my foot in my mouth if I don't. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I'm going to have to do a correction of a correction. By the way, he <laughs> was a celebrity contestant on Pyramid. What the? F- I I not <laughs> say that.
3: By the way, the live action Police Academy series. That's a future entry.
2: And the
4: cartoon. Let's not forget and, the cartoon. And
3: the cartoon.
4: And you know we're not gonna go talking about the cartoon without talking about the figure based on Zed. <laughs> yeah. You know the figure.
3: I know the figure.
4: His pants fall down. Yeah, I know I
3: know the figure.
4: One guest star we forgot to mention in this episode. Playing the character of Neil Palmer is David Hedison, who we've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast, but most notably, he played Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die and License to Kill. And remember, Felix Leiter was bitten by a shark twice in the continuity of the Bond novels, not the movies.
3: Episode 19, Mr. Wonderful. Hold on a second. Time out, guys.
2: Time. No, don't do a Paul Orndorff no, no, reference. No no.
3: no, no, no. You're getting
2: too oh. predictable in your old age, Greg. Damn no. it.
3: <laughs> Damn. Did he really just say that? Anyway, a man who's. Involved... I don't turn
4: 40 until next year.
3: You can't call me old yet. <laughs> Calls me old all the time. Anyway.
2: You're getting predictable, though. Come on, Mr. Wonderful. Oh, I wonder what Greg's going to say. Is he Paul Orndorf? <laughs> Yeah, we know Greg, wrestling,
3: wrestling. A man who's involved with a younger woman, feeling that he can't give her what she wants, should probably watch that VHS tape from the last episode. As Carrie to locate her ex, and what he does, the guy is not exactly a good guy. He's a bad. He's a bad man. He's a very, very bad man. Meanwhile. A guy Daisy dated asks her to find his girlfriend. But after meeting her, he realizes he still has feelings for Daisy. So many names in this episode. All right, let's start with um, the man who is involved with a younger woman. Uh, Playing Jim Chasen, Gordon Thompson from The Dynasty. And playing... Gail Ames, D. Wallace Stone. Oh, yes. The mom from E.T. And the mom who suddenly becomes a single mom in uh, Nothing Is Easy slash... No.
4: Together We Stand. Thank you. Together We Stand slash Nothing Is Easy, which is coming later this year, depending on when something premieres on Disney
3: Plus, as we mentioned. Yes. Yes. By the way, congratulations, Jonathan K. Kwan.
4: That's right. You got nominated for an Oscar.
3: For Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's right. And Daisy's ex, Steve Bate, played by Bruce Fairbairn. From *The Rookies, Femmington Steel, and The Incredible Hulk. One episode. But then we have, as Amanda Tyler, Ellen Bree from the saints elsewhere
2: uh not just the saint elsewhere she also did two weeks of the at, game Hollywood match game Hollywood Squares Squares Hour. Hour. and yeah. that's like our sixth reference and we're gonna just keep on going with those references well this would
3: be the year for it because yeah 84 85 this would
2: be the year
3: for it well, no, the year after
2: it got—it's the year after because it got canceled in uh, July of '84, or the, it's the last episode. So it's yeah. after. It didn't coincide with this, snow. Oh. oh no, no,
3: no, okay. no. But the, probably the biggest name of this episode, Judge Alec Hale, played by Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.
4: Oh, that's right—the daddy of Stephanie Zimbalist. Yep. Also, let's not forget who was the voice of Alfred
3: on Batman the
4: Animated Series.
3: Rest in peace, Kevin Conroy. Episode 20, Surrogates. A man resorts to desperate measures to prevent his widowed father from marrying a childhood sweetheart, and a girl plays matchmaker for her lonely mother.
4: Ooh!
3: First of all, we gotta talk about who played Dorothy Keating in this episode, played by Lauren Tweese, a.k.a. Julie McCoy, your cruise director.
2: Oh, on another Aaron Spelling show. Yep. Oh, she's already on the payroll. Gotcha.
3: And then we have, in the A-plot, playing Ben Harper. Greg, are you ready for this?
4: Okay, who is it?
3: Kevin McCarthy. Oh, yes. And we're not talking about
4: that, Kevin McCarthy. No, no, no. No. Screw that guy. We're talking about the Kevin McCarthy, of course, from such classics as the OG Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And, of course, he was R.J. Fletcher in UHF.
3: He wasn't just R.J. Fletcher in UHF. He was that bastard, R.J. Fletcher in UHF. Oh, yeah,
4: yeah, because he took Stanley Spadowski's mop away. That was terrible. Poor Stanley he lost his mop.
3: Yep.
4: Hold on a second. I got to check something. Is UHF on 2B? Well,
3: while you check that, I will tell you that his son, Gordon Harper, was played by Randy Powell from future entry Logan's Run the Series.
4: Oh, that's great. And by the way, UHF, as of the time we're recording this, is on 2B.
3: And playing the role of R.J. Fletcher's childhood sweetheart, Kevin McCarthy's childhood sweetheart. Beverly Garland. We talked about her in the previous entry Camp-, Camp Wilder.
4: That's right. Making a low-key status for Hall of Fame entry, possibly. Yeah. Making that candidacy case.
3: Episode 21. Final analysis. A man tries to find a past girlfriend who has a new identity to hide from her past, which comes back to haunt her. Carrie and Daisy work together on the case, And as they grow closer to helping her client, they grow emotionally closer to each other. Ooh. And playing the past girlfriend, Lisa Hennessy, Belinda Montgomery, a.k.a. Doogie Howser's mama. And the guy who's looking for her, Ken Grant, played by Michael Spann, also of The Hotel.
2: Are we just going to add the to every title, the hotel, the the, the match game Hollywood Squares the, hour?
3: No, we the. can't add the to the match game Hollywood Squares hour. It's already there. It's
2: already but there. You, but, but 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 you've already added like the to like four or five episodes. That's
3: because, well, that's because those are the shows that are known for having the rotating guest stars.
2: Well, so does the the match game Hollywood Squares <laughs> hour. If you think about it,
3: did Michael Spound do the the match game Hollywood Squares hour?
2: No, Michael Spound did the, the $25,000 pyramid. Thank you. All right, let's bring it back on track here.
3: Okay, we we're have... bringing it. There's one more date here.
2: Yes. Yeah, let's bring it back on track. Playing a policeman in this episode. Uh-huh. Doesn't have a, a, a name. Just called the policeman. Paul Peterson. Don't tell me you don't know who Paul Peterson is. Well, first off, I think he was like the after or SAG union chair for like the longest time, but also he played Donna Reed's son, Jeff Stone on the Donna Reed show. Mm-hmm.
3: Told you he is a known entity, but you know who else is in this episode playing Dr. Arthur Barwell is John Carlin who would be a detective on all 125 episodes of Cagney and Lazy. So yes, Names all abound on this one. Episode 22, the penultimate episode, Broken Promises. A young man suspects that his missing girlfriend has not been sent to a boarding school despite what her parents say. And a journalist searches for a reclusive racehorse owner who influenced her life. First of all, playing Jake Turner, the guy looking for the girl who may or may not be in a boarding school. Ken Oland and the girl he's looking for, Emily Bennett, is played by Diane Franklin, who, at the age of 10, started with modeling theater commercials and soap opera work, winning the lead role of dream girl Karen in cult classic The Last American Virgin. Greg, you and I would probably know her as Princess Joanna in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
4: That's right, she was Princess
3: Joanna in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
4: One of the two babes who Bill and Ted meet in medieval times.
3: And almost gets executed for it.
4: Oh yeah, because remember, they... Take them
3: to the Iron Maiden.
4: That's right. Uh, Iron Maiden? Excellent! (laughs) They have no idea it's not
3: that eight. No idea whatsoever.
2: Also in this episode playing Robin Sloan is Joan Prather, another person who was on 8 is Enough.
3: It's like she was in like one season long arc and then she joins the family because she was not only in that in 18 episodes of 8 is Enough when she married into the family, she was in 8 is Enough a family reunion, and also an eight is enough wedding.
2: You're going to love how I'm going to tie this in. It's not a match game of Hollywood squares. No. Joan Prather. She was on a week of celebrity few with Jay Johnson. And the reason I mentioned she was on celebrity few. She was on the episode where the guy who got his knee busted by Gregory Itzen, he returned. I remember that episode. You commented on the YouTube video, you Dorcas. I know. That was so, my yeah. comment. So sh- she has a connection to Gregory Itzen, kind of, sort of, because the guy whose knee was taken out by Gregory Itson returned on the Monday episode with Joan Prather and Jay Johnson, and won twenty five thousand dollars. It all goes back to few. And it all goes back to that bastard Gregory Itson. Rest in peace, you bastard. And by the way,
3: this is not a video podcast, but Greg is holding up his his Blu ray. I believe it's from Shout Factory of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
4: Not always oh, that excellent Ted's adventure.
3: Most excellent adventure.
4: Most excellent collection. Ah, it has both. Excellent adventure and bogus journey in here. Nice. But it doesn't
2: have Face the Music.
4: Well, this came out before Face the Music, so. Oh, I just
2: wanted to make a mention of Face the Music so I could just say Face the Music. <speaking> Although, <speaking> <speaking> Although <laughs> Warner Brothers has recently put
4: out a collection of all three movies in one pack, okay. so I gotta get
3: that. All right. And the final episode. Connections. A man seeks the foster family who took him in when his parents died, but because he left under less than amicable circumstances, they don't welcome him back. He then decides to take his brother, whom he left with him, who's still with them, but his foster father tells a secret that might make that unlikely, and a man who's talking to an old woman seeks her out, but she turns out to be a young woman. So. Let's go through all of this again. The kids in this situation. Well, one of the kids in this situation. Joey, played by Jeremy Licht. Who would be a year or so removed from the Hogan family. Or Valerie. Or Valerie's family. Let's call it Valerie.
2: Whatever it's called this week.
3: Whatever it's called this week, yes.
4: But also, let's not forget. He was in Twilight Zone, the movie, in the segment, It's a Good Life. And you know who was also in that segment, guys?
3: Who was also in that segment, guys?
4: Kevin McCarthy. Uh, And a young Nancy Cartwright's in that segment, too.
3: And playing his brother, Dan Matthews, Frederick Len, who, still active, I believe the last thing he did was an episode of FBI International. And he was in The Dark Knight Rises. And playing their parents, Peter Mark Richman as Father Frank. He was in Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. And playing the mother, Ruth Cunningham, Anne Francis, Honey West herself.
2: Am I the only one who remembers Honey West? No. There's just a binge uh, of it. On decades, within like the last two or three weeks. I remember Honey West. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember Honey West. Greg doesn't, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't know what Honey West is. Imagine Get Christy Love, but with a white chick. Okay.
3: You definitely know this name, Greg. Playing, Tate, Wendy Shawl.
4: Yes. The voice of Francine on American
3: Dead and one of the waitresses in It's a Living.
2: Yeah, gotta give her credit for both of them. Yes, she's Francine Smith, but gotta give her credit. She was on It's a Living. And we actually also should add just the name Making a Living. We forget about it being called Making a Living before it's It's a Living. The second
4: season was called Making a Living. But, of course, when it went to syndication, we all know who became a big star being on It's a Living. Crystal Bernard, and oh, you know what? That...
2: Uh, oh, I thought you were saying
3: Paul Kreppel. Okay. Oh uh, no, you can't make a joke out of Paul Kreppel. It because, was Crystal Bernard.
4: Yeah, and also she was on Wings, and as we discovered forty nine episodes ago, guys, I said for the first time, I love Wings.
3: Yes, he did. Also,
4: but, but also we...
3: because it's Crystal Bernard, you know why she was working at top of the uh, top of the tower or whatever that name was? She needs to make the rent. Yeah. Want to see <laughs> we're just pulling all of them out this week. So, that's the show. And I did research before this, so we're going to start the whole what happens to this show thing uh, with an interesting little factoid. This show aired in its regular time slot Saturday nights at 10 o'clock. It was on opposite two other shows that premiered that season. On CBS, you had Cover Up, and on NBC, you had Hot Pursuit. And for anybody asking, yes, they're both on the list. Finder of Lost Loves aired after The Love Boat, which I want to say it was in its ninth or tenth season, was still a big draw on Saturday nights.
2: Oh, well, it wasn't not. I don't think it was ninth or tenth season, because uh, it started, I believe, seventy seven. So that would make this eighth season, I believe. Yeah, but but uh,
3: it's eighth season. But it was still it, very much a draw on
2: it, Saturday night. It, it, it didn't become event programming yet, because remember, like the last season or so, they would just do like three or four specials a year.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so they still did this on a weekly basis. But also, if I remember correctly, 84-85, that was Ted McGinley's first year.
4: Yeah, because remember, he would have come straight from Happy Days.
2: Yeah, he was Ace Your Photographer.
3: And Finder of Lost Loves was better than Hot Pursuit and Cover Up. Of course, uh, we are going to cover Cover Up when we get to the eventual episode of What Happens When One of the Stars Died. Because you know who one of the stars of Cover-Up is, right? Yeah, Yeah. John Eric
4: Hexum, yeah.
3: Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, Hot Pursuit went cold quickly. They replaced that with something else. But both Finder of Lost Loves and Cover-Up lasted the entire season. But only Finder of Lost Loves would be, you know, kind of sort of steady, leveled off in the lead that one hour. ABC owned Saturday Night's. But you know what they replaced Hot Pursuit with? A little cop show named Hunter.
4: Oh, yes. Fred Dreyer and Stephanie Kramer.
3: Yeah. But they still didn't beat Finder of Lost Loves. I mean, they still led the time slot. But when the schedules came out for 85-86, the Finder of Lost Loves was lost itself. Love boat moving into its Saturday at ten o'clock slot. I guess in retrospect, it was more or less a bubble show, the Finder of Lost Loves. And kinda sort of with its every plot, it kinda sort of got bland quickly, but that didn't stop people from not tuning in. I don't really understand why the Finder of Lost Loves got cancelled. But I kind of get the finds that ABC was in. I mean, they needed to program for Saturday nights. And also, NBC in 1985, they would come to own Saturday nights thanks to some ladies from Washington and some ladies from Miami. You know the ones. As for this show, it's not streaming anywhere. It never got an official home release. But you can watch all 23 episodes unofficially on YouTube as of this recording. So you can watch it and then get back to me as to why you think it was canceled, because I don't get it. Thoughts, gentlemen?
4: I don't know. It seemed like ABC was like, hey, the Love Boat's popular. Let's have another Love Boat on our schedule. And no, didn't work out.
2: I'm going to build on top of what Greg just said, because he sort of stole my thunder. When you take a look at the episodes that we just went through, you basically have sort of the same formula as Fantasy Island. You have plot A, and then the second half of the show, you have plot B. And sort of they kind of mix, sort of also like Love Boat, where, you know, you've got an A plot and a B plot and they sort of get intertwined throughout the course of the episode. So maybe that's like the Aaron spelling way of doing things, having like two distinct separate plots or trying to interweave them in some capacity. But just hearing the plots of these episodes made me think of exactly that. Oh, it sounds just like an episode of fantasy Island. Here comes Audra Lindley with uh, her husband. uh, We'll just say Norman fell for the first thing. And then the second act, oh, well, look, here's Charlotte Ray and, oh, her husband Don Knotts. Whatever. I'm just making names, but you get the point. Two distinctly separate plots that sometimes interweave in some capacity.
3: Yeah, now that you put it that way. That didn't stop, you know, Fantasy Island or the Love Boat or Hotel from lasting as long as they did.
2: Well, everybody loves the Love Boat and Fantasy Island had Ricardo Montalban and Harvey Villashez. Well, maybe Tony Franciosa just isn't that big of a name. I mean, his biggest show, just period, would have been Name of the Game, and that was, gosh, over 15 years ago at this point. That was like 68 to 71 or so.
3: His other big show would be another one-season wonder, the TV version of Matt Helm, which was uh, sort of a Trying to be get smart by spoof, but failing miserably. There you go. That's the Finder of Lost Loves. It found ratings, but ultimately became lost itself and became... Nothing on TV.
0: Row. You've lost someone. Someone very close to you. Disappeared without a trace. <laughs> I know what that's like. It happened to me once. I'm an investigator of sorts, but I take only one kind of case. Losses of the heart. Tony Franciosa. He's with you as the finder of lost loves this fall. We're with you on ABC with you.
2: This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ow, what the heck, man?
3: Episode 350. Yay. Submission number 800 the slap the slap aired on nbc from february 12th to april 2nd 2015 for eight episodes
4: and now here's this weirdly out of place jazz theme for some reason
3: In 2008, Australian author Christos Soikas wrote a landmark novel, presented through the viewpoints of eight individual characters and focusing on their reactions after a man controversially reprimands his friend's son by slapping him during a social gathering. The Slap, the novel, won the Commonwealth Writers' Prize in 2009 and was adapted into two miniseries. The first miniseries aired on ABC Australia in 2011 and featured Jonathan LaPaglia and Melissa George, both renowned Australian thespians who have been on American Productions from one time or another. Seeing the success of this miniseries, Universal and NBC commissioned an American version of the show. Developed by John Robin Boltz and Walter F. Parks, known for many things, including Men in Black, Minority Report, and being a two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist. The American version pretty much follows the line of both the novel and the Australian miniseries. Instead of it being in Melbourne, however, it took place in... New York City.
0: New York City!
3: Because that's where all of American TV shows take place. We have a same birthday party, same couple, same friends, same loud Greek family, and the same guy getting slapped. So here's the basic synopsis. Hector is a public servant, husband, and father, and valued friend on the cusp of his 40th birthday. His beautiful and intelligent wife, Aisha, is planning his birthday party filled with friends and his very boisterous Greek family. Sounds like the making of a great day, right? You would think. As Hector tries to navigate family politics awkward friendships and the young woman he's dangerously captivated by, the built-up tension explodes when Hector's hot-headed cousin Harry slaps another couple's misbehaving child, which stops the party dead in its tracks. Everybody's understandably stunned, and the party ends with the child's parents bowing legal action. But what the hosts and the guests don't know is that this moment ignites a chain of events that uncovers long-buried secrets within this group of friends and family and vigorously challenge the core values of everyone involved.
4: Now, let's be clear here. This show deals with a serious subject. But let's be quite honest. All anyone remembers this show for is just the slap, and that's it.
3: Yeah, it's pretty much all anybody ever remembers, because it's pretty much all anybody showed of this series.
4: Now, I remember when they showed the trailer for this, and I just remember the way it was edited. I remember thinking to myself, this is so stupid. This is the stupidest show. Who would want to watch eight episodes of this? And little did I know that in, like, a decade from now, I'd be like, oh, crap, now I gotta watch this. Guys, I actually paid money to watch all the episodes of this.
3: You paid the $13 for the season on Prime Video.
4: No, I paid the $17
3: on iTunes for it. I didn't realize it was 13 bucks on Prime Video. Yeah, we usually save this bit for the end of the show, but... This show is available in its entirety for $13 on Prime Video. Yeah, and
4: I could have saved that $4.
3: Yeah, but as we've established on this show, you hate money.
4: Yeah, but I also wanted to save $4. I get that.
3: This show basically has no guest stars. Everybody appears through the entire series which led more credence to the argument that it was always meant to be a miniseries instead of it being a series that was canceled after eight episodes.
4: Or if you're, like, living in the 1980s, you could use the old-school term novel for television.
3: Novel for television.
4: That's how they used to describe some miniseries back in the day. Like, The Winds of War was described as a novel for television.
3: Yeah, and we're... um abc weekend specials children's novels for television
2: something like that
3: yeah okay
2: and it should be mentioned that the original australian series it was a mini series and it lasted eight episodes and i really don't want to spoil anything but if you look at the episode guides for the australian series versus the american series they all have the same episode titles.
4: Yeah, because they follow the point of view of each character in that particular episode.
2: No, I get that, but it's almost like an exact carbon copy of the Australian series.
3: And the novel. Don't forget the novel.
2: Well, and the novel too, by, by extension, absolutely. But it's like, okay, why did NBC go to all this trouble if they're just going to basically do the Australian version. Why don't they just borrow or rent or whatever? The Australian version. Save a lot of money in production.
3: True. Alright, so let's go over this family and these friends. Uh, Playing the role of Deputy Commissioner Hector Apostolo, and again, I do apologize for butchering these Greek pronunciations. Peter Sarsgaard, who is in Dead Man Walking in 1995. He's basically a veteran of the independent film circuit.
4: Let's not forget he was in Gordon State with Zach Braff and Natalie Portman. Mm Mm-hmm. And hold on a second. Do you know who played his mother in Gordon State, Peter Sarsgaard? Who? Gene Smart. Ah. Have you ever seen Gordon State, Chico?
3: I've never seen Garden State.
4: Okay. Do you know who plays Gene Smart's boyfriend from medieval times in Garden State? Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Jim Parsons.
2: Yes. Also, let's remember Peter Sarsgaard did have a little popularity at one time. He hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live.
4: Oh, yes. The very famous SARS guard sketch
2: is that the one where they uh, uh like an advertisement for SARS guard, something to protect you from getting SARS? I think so. that's where I remember him from there, there was I don't know if it was a, a commercial spoof, but he, he was pitching something called SARS Guard, which protected you from getting SARS, which was something you know it, it was COVID a decade before COVID, let's say, but not as bad.
1: Hi, I'm critically acknowledged actor Peter Sarsgaard. And today I'd like to talk to you about a very serious matter. We live in a world where we're never sure where the next infectious disease will strike. Today, that disease is bird flu. Three years ago, that disease was SARS. Do you remember that? I do. Because three years ago, I developed these. The Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. The only commercially available Sarsgaard with my picture on it. Now, normally I'd never tried to take advantage of a terrible tragedy, but my name is Peter Sarsgaard. It was kind of a no-brainer. But the fact is that I now have several warehouses full of Peter Sarsgaard brand Sarsgaards. 250 million of them, to be exact originally retailing for $120 a price, I now realize was obscenely high. They can now be had for the very reasonable price of five for a dollar. (laughs) Now, the SARS-Guard SARS-Guard is 60% effective against the SARS bacteria. That's 60%. That's nearly 10% more effective than the natural filters contained within the human lung. (laughs) Now, I have to be honest. It's been pretty difficult to sell these things. Not only will the AMA not certify the Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgard that they won't even return my calls. <laughs> I swore that I would never say this about anyone, but I hope that all those AMA turkeys get Sars. <laughs> but I don't want you to get Sars. Now I made a terrible decision about getting involved with these Sarsgards, but you? Might not be making a terrible decision by not getting involved with them today. The Peter Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard. The only Sarsgaard with my face on it.
4: People forget that COVID is a variation on Sars. Just so we be clear.
3: Playing the wife of Hector, Aisha Apostolou, a clinic director. Tandiwa
2: Newton. Well, we could just call her Tandi Newton. Sorry to ruin your pronunciation and and your practice there, Chico. Hey, I was just, hey,
3: she wanted to be addressed as Tandiwa, so I'm addressing her as Tandiwa.
2: Okay, it it says here that she was credited as Tandi, though, in the series. I know she's changed her spelling in the last couple of years, but potato, potato.
3: Yeah, of course, nowadays we remember her from all four seasons of Westworld.
4: Alright, Mike, get it out of your system now. You talked about it in the chat.
2: What? The fact that I've only seen like two minutes of Westworld and by sheer coincidence the two minutes I've seen of Westworld was a nude scene with Tandy Newton? Yes! And I fell in love with her as soon as I saw her? (laughs) You didn't say all that now! I said I, I'm making her my third wife, so yeah. Th- I think that means that I just had a mad sick friggin' crush on her. I'm curious as to who the other two wives are.
3: I don't think I want to know. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, I was
2: gonna say, going on to the next person in the cast.
3: Yeah, yeah let's do that. Playing the daughter of Hector and Aisha, Melissa, Ashley Ofterheide. Currently playing the role of Gwen on the new Netflix drop, That 90s Show.
4: Oh, so we're current.
3: Yes. Well, you, well, we're current as in you, me, and Mike. We're all 90s kids. Actually, we're 80s kids bordering on 90s kids.
4: Not but, Mike. Yeah. He's, he's been like 20 in the 90s.
3: That would be a 90s kid.
2: Uh, excuse me, wait, 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 excuse me. When the nineties started, I was 14 years old. Yes, yeah, so so I was that still technically count. a nineties kid. When you're talking about early on, I'm a nineties kid. If you're talking about later on, like 95, 97. Yeah. I was in my twenties at that point. So I was a nineties kid, sort of a cusp eighties, nineties kid. Yes.
3: Now watch somebody come up with that 2000s show and make us all feel old.
4: That's happening in 10 years. More than
3: <laughs> Now playing the older brother of Melissa and the first child of Hector and Aisha, Adam Apostolo, Khalid Ielzuma. Playing Anuk Latham, Hector's childhood friend and a television executive producer, Uma Thurman. Yes! And
4: listen, we don't need to describe Uma Thurman. Me Y'all don't. know who Uma Thurman is. And you all know who her daughter is. Her daughter's Robin on Stranger Things.
3: Yep. And uh, uh, fun fact, Mary Louise Parker was originally cast as a nuke, but had to drop out because she came down with pneumonia.
2: Are we not going to talk about Peter Griffin playing Uma Thurman's eye wrangler? <laughs> oh, God, I've got I guess we have to now. I got Greg to remember it. My job's done. <laughs> all right. Now, play
3: Hugo Wexler, the receiver of the titular slap, Dylan Schombang, who played Rocky on all 76 episodes of something called Gigantosaurus. Gigantosaurus! <laughs> yes. What the hell is Gigantosaurus? I'm guessing it's a cartoon that involves a dinosaur. Oh, it has to be. But if you are above cartoons, first of all, the hell's wrong with you? And second of all, he played 32 episodes worth of Charlie on The Girlfriend's Guide to
2: Divorce. Okay, you're talking about Gigantosaurus? Yes. It was on Disney Junior.
3: That explains it. Yeah, that explains it. Playing his parents, Rosie and Gary Wexler, the mother is played by Melissa George, who played the same role in the original Australian version. Father Gary is played by Thomas Zdowski, who is known for his role as Don Keeler in The Newsroom and Matt Short in Life in Pieces.
4: Oh, and by the way, you know who is also on the newsroom? Chico?
3: Um, I know this because I love the newsroom. Uh, Jeff Daniels and yeah. Well, not on the main cast. Supporting. Oh, cast. not the. Oh, not okay. I I got nothing. Uh, oh, wait, right, hint, I
4: mentioned the show earlier. Like two minutes ago.
3: Two minutes ago. Okay. What did I
4: mention two minutes ago when talking about Uma Thurman?
3: Stranger Things.
4: And who was on the newsroom that was on Stranger
3: Things? I got nothing. I got David nothing. David Harbor, you t- <laughs> Thank you. Th- see, I wouldn't have remembered if he hadn't told me. Anthology of Lost Television, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway. Then we go to Harry Apostolo, Hector's cousin, a rare auto dealer, and the deliverer of the titular slap.
4: Oh uh, yes.
3: And playing the role of Harry, Zachary Quinto.
4: That's right. And you know what that means. Spock, he slapped the shit out of a kid. You'll never see even Peck slap the s*** out of a kid. No. Zachary Quinto, he slapped the s*** out of a kid. On the
3: slap. That's a strange New World's reference, kids. Harry's wife, Sandy Apostolo, Played by Marin Ireland, who's basically a theater actress. And in the role of Harry's preteen son, Rocco Apostolou, Owen Tanzer. This is basically his only role in a lasting series. He was in a couple more movies, but that was it. Next, playing Manolis Apostolou, Hector's father, Brian Cox. Oh, yes,
4: Brian Cox. And, of course, we can't mention Brian Cox without talking about Succession. Yep. New season coming soon. And also, because we got a new season of Succession coming up, you know what that means. We're going to have an excuse to talk about Alan Ruck.
3: Be on the lookout for that, my friends. That's right.
4: Hey, two like, shows in a row with a
3: famous viewer reference. There you go. Uh, playing his wife Kula Apostolou, Maria Tucci. She was in six episodes of Law & Order as a recurring character. And that was pretty much it as far as television is concerned. And as Harry's attorney, Tanasis Korkulis, Michael Nori.
4: That's right. Flash dance, baby. But also, we're gonna talk about him in future entry downtown. Mm-hmm. Oh, hold on a second! One more thing about Michael Nuri. he was in the nineteen ninety Captain America movie. Do you remember the nineteen ninety Captain America? I do America remember movie?
3: the. Yeah, Matt Salinger as Cap. Yeah, I remember him. Oh, it was terrible. It was horrible. Thank God they got Chris Evans twenty-one years later. And also as Connie, the babysitter who watches Hector and Aisha's children, Mackenzie Lee, who is known for being a That Girl from That Thing, but nowadays you can see her in all seven episodes of Season 2 of Gotham. Connie's best friend, Richie, played by Lucas Hedges, who was in Moonrise Kingdom in 2012.
4: And, I should note, the character of Richie is very important to the series because he is, like, a photographer and so he's taking pictures of everything and that becomes, like, important
3: later. That becomes super important later. As ADA Bridget Salter, we have Ellen Adair, no relation to Deborah Adair from the last episode we did. But she played a similar role on three episodes of from 2019 to 2021. Then we have as Anouk's much younger actor boyfriend, Jamie Penn Badgley, who you would remember as the creepy stalker in You. Me? Not you, you. Me? Uh, not you, you! Me? Not. Are we really doing this? Who's on first? Playing Richie's mother, Fiona, Molly Price, known as Faith Yogas, in Third Watch. And Anook's mother, Virginia Latham, played by Blythe Danner.
4: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And y'all know, yeah, she's Gwyneth Paltrow's mommy.
3: She's kind of a big deal.
4: Yeah. And her husband created scene elsewhere.
3: And the white and, shadow. And the white shadow. And tying this all together, the narrator. Oh, the narrator. who they get as the
4: narrator?
3: Victor Garber.
4: Wait. Hold on. You mean the same Victor Garber who was the star of the CBS sitcom in the mid-80s? I had three wives.
3: Yes. Wow. He was also an alias. That's right. And he that's was- in a, that's a hell of a jump, by the way.
4: Oh yeah, from I Had Three Wives to Aos. But let's not forget he was in Titanic.
3: Yes, where he had to affect the Scottish accent.
2: Don't bury the lead though. He was on I Had Three Wives. <laughs>
3: okay, so now that you know all of the players. We're going to go through the entire story, all eight points of view, all eight episodes.
4: Okay, good.
3: All right, y'all ready? Yeah. Episode one, Hector. On his 40th birthday, Hector, an assistant deputy commissioner, struggles with getting older, advancement at his job, and his attraction to his teenage babysitter, Connie, who works at his wife's medical clinic. During his birthday party with family and friends, his cousin Harry slaps Hugo, another couple's out-of-control child, for misbehaving, causing an impact on everyone's lives moving forward.
4: Now, let me be clear here. The reason that Harry slaps Hugo is because he will not put down the wiffle ball bat down. It's not just like a normal wiffle ball bat. No, he's playing wiffle ball with a normal baseball bat. Which is stupid. Why would you do why, that? Why would you do that? And he's just being a complete jerk. So he just slaps them
3: for being a jerk. I don't condone violence toward anyone. Especially if it's a stranger slapping another stranger's kid. But you have to understand the whole dramatics that ensues. Not hilarity. Dramatics ensues. Yes,
4: yes. Because there's a reason why he does it. And And in his point of view, he's just being a jerk. So it's like, you gotta behave yourself. Slap.
3: Now this was told through Hector's point of view. Yes. Episode 2. Harry. Two NYPD detectives speak to Hector about an investigation regarding the incident with Harry. Harry confronts Sandy and tries to ask if she spoke with Hector in secret, which she denies. Hector and Harry pay Gary and Rosie a visit in hopes that things go well, but the mediation goes sour, and after Harry storms off, Rosie calls the police. Rocco gets into a fight with a teammate from his basketball team. Rocco explains to Harry that he needed to stand up for himself, to which Harry replies that learning how to be assertive with control is something that the two need to learn. The NYPD detectives meet up with Harry and let him know that charges were pressed and that he will be arraigned in criminal court. Hector learns of Harry's arrest and goes to the court where he learns that Rosie accused Harry of assaulting the family by throwing a chair? Bail is posted and Harry confides to Hector that this matter will be fought. So we go from slapping to hitting him with
2: a chair? What is this, The Geraldo Show?
3: I was thinking, what is this, Monday Night Raw? What
0: is
4: this, Town Talk with George Newman?
0: Lesbian Nazi hookers abducted by UFOs and forced into weight loss programs. All this week on Town
2: Talk. One thing I want to add about this episode, and actually three other episodes, so half of the eight total episodes, this was directed by Ken Olin, who you might remember from 30-something.
3: Yes, quite the director in his own right. Episode 3 Anook. Anook, Aisha, and Rosie discuss Harry's arrest. Rosie is happy about it, but Anook suggests she drop the lawsuit. Rosie insinuates that Anook is saying this because she doesn't have children, which causes Anook to visit her mother, Virginia. After seeing Jamie perform at a nightclub, Anook vomits in the bathroom and realizes. She's pregnant.
2: Uh Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Greg put a certain amount of enthusiasm into that one. That was one of his better uh uh-ohs. Yeah.
3: At dinner with Virginia, Anouk and Jamie learn that she is selling Anouk's home in order to move to Scotland, which upsets Anouk. The next day, Anouk breaks up with Jamie and contemplates having an abortion. Aisha tries to talk her out of it. Anouk learns Virginia has brain cancer and plans to visit a treatment center in Edinburgh, hence her plans to move to Scotland. Anouk confirms her pregnancy to Virginia and reconciles with Jamie. So, to review, Hector just saw his cousin at his birthday party slap a kid. And Harry defends himself from a trumped-up charge of, hitting somebody with a folding chair. And now Anouk is pregnant, and her mother has brain cancer, which she's seeking treatment for in Scotland. This is completely bad <laughs> sh- insane! <laughs> We're not even halfway through the show, kids. Episode 4. Manolis. Manolis is disturbed by the events going on with his family and tries to resolve the situation. Rosie, Gary, and Aisha meet with the district attorney, who bluntly tells them that they don't have a case unless they can prove Harry has a longer history of being violent. Aisha looks very upset and stops talking. Hector is aghast at a sleazy but effective attorney who earns Harry's trust in business with his plan to ruin Rosie and Gary by revealing details of what they're really like. Later, when Manolis asks her for help in getting the case against Harry dismissed, Aisha tells him that several years ago, she treated Harry's wife Sandy after she came in with severe bruising to her face. Manolis confronts Harry, who denies ever hitting Sandy, but hints that they did have other confrontations that could have resulted in injuries. Manolis and his wife reflect on how to let their children handle events, now that they're adults, and reunites with his oldest and best friend. So, now Manulis is reuniting with his friend, and he and his wife are wondering how to just let their children handle this, now that they're adults. Now we're halfway through the series. Episode 5, Connie. Connie learns from her friend Richie that he has photos from the party where the slap occurred, and also showing her kissing Hector. Oh boy! Oh no! She asks him to delete the photos, and after tries to inspire Hector to be romantic, but he bluntly says their affair, and her time as their babysitter, is over. A hurt Connie meets up with the boyfriends of her late, wild absentee father, Malcolm, and learns about his irresponsible lifestyle. Meanwhile, the prosecutor and family of Hugo appear in a conference with the defendant, Harry, and his attorney, with the judge mediating. The defendant wants the case dismissed, claiming it was self-defense, while the prosecutor refuses to back down, claiming the defendant is a child abuser! The judge decides the case for trial. Connie sees Rosie later and finds her crying because the judge has ordered Hugo to have a psychological evaluation. Connie then tells her they still have the photos, which do not support Harry's version of what happened. So now Connie's boyfriend is all up in this with the photos. Episode 6. Aisha. A Greek public relations expert wants Aisha, because she is not a relative, not Greek, and not a really close friend, to appear as a character witness for Harry. He feels that What they need is a respectable member of the community who is a physician to take the stand in his case and say that Harry is a good man whose deeds have helped kids and that he is a decent man. He points out that the criminal trial is just the beginning. If Harry is convicted, the child's family will use it as evidence to start a multi-million dollar civil suit for damages. Aisha, who knows for a fact that Harry did cut Sandy with a ...to the temple years ago, weighs this while she nearly has a fling with a colleague... ...and then she and Hector sadly confess to each other the way they haven't been truly faithful. This is getting serious. Episode 7, Rosie. As Harry's criminal trial approaches, Rosie's life begins to completely fall apart. Hugo is expelled from school, Gary gets angry at Rosie's behavior... And when Rosie tries to get Richie to turn over the photos, Richie and his mom both tell Rosie to leave and not come back. Harry's lawyer, the asks him if they can use some damaging personal information about Rosie that researchers found. But Harry is reluctant. Rosie asks Harry to accept a no-contest plea that will result in no jail time and a small fine. Harry turns her down. After being drilled by the DA about his abusive treatment of Sandy, Harry accepts Tanassas' line of defense. Gary is horrified at Rosie's treatment and tells the DA about Richie's photos so that he will have to produce them. At the same time, Richie is home deleting images from a video file card. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And it all comes to a head with Episode 8, Richie. A police detective serves a warrant for Richie's laptop in order to obtain the photos. Richie confirms that he deleted them but willingly surrenders his laptop and flash drive. Donassus reveals his strategy to Harry. He will get the pictures thrown out and leak new information he acquired about Richie's past. His past is published by a New York newspaper as an only in New York story. With his past in print, Richie attempts suicide but Gary calls an ambulance, and Richie recovers. When questioned by Tenasis, Richie explains that he deleted the photos because they were photographs of people he cared about behaving badly and felt that no one should see them. Harry is found guilty of attempted assault of a minor in the third degree, but the judge sentences him to time already served. She then advises Gary and Rosie that they could expect a visit from Child Protective Services. Connie and Richie leave for college, and Anouk's friends gather at her home to welcome her new baby. That's the show. This is one of those David Lynch sort of joints where everything falls apart and then comes together again, isn't it? Because that's what it read like to me.
4: Well, not quite David Lynch, but it's kind of like a... Uh... What what would you say? It's kind of like a... Um, well, it's a novel for television, as we said earlier.
3: It's one of those things that, you know, you just have to read into everything, I guess you could say. But yeah, we talked about this already. There were only eight episodes. They were available for uh, release on Peacock for a time. But now if you go to Peacock you will only get the original Australian version. And we've already said that you can buy the entire run on Video On Demand, be it uh, Prime Video or iTunes.
2: Or, believe it or not, you can get it on DVD. Oh, really? You can get it on DVD, absolutely. Uh, You can get either the NBC version or the original version in Australia on DVD. And not for terribly much money. I was going to do an eBay prices rate based on rarity, but nope. Uh, looks like you can get it for I see a seven seventy four. Buy it now. Pre-owned, so uh, it's been used, but under eight bucks. If you're interested in this.
3: Meanwhile, reviews were sort of, Meh. Newsday gave it the uh, highest review of a 91 out of 100 saying that it's a chance and a worthy one. Then you compare that to uh, the Denver Post, who said that the cast is inviting, but the two prominent overly obvious voiceover narrator is a truly awful innovation. So they love the cast, but they hate Victor Gorber.
4: Why would you hate Victor Gorber? He was
3: on I Had Three Wives! I don't know. I, ju- I just don't know. And The Hollywood Reporter... Gave it a 3 out of 10, saying, Everything about the slap feels manipulated. You can smell the smoke off the puppet strings as the characters are jerked into being jerks. And that's just the pilot. The anvil drops more often and with more velocity in the second episode. So I have to wonder. Now, obviously, evidence points into the direction that this was always meant to be a temporary TV show a miniseries, a novel for television, if you will. But the premiere launched with a rating of 5 million viewers watching. Then it sort of went down until it hit about 3 million for the finale. The show aired at 8 o'clock on a Thursday, which is time that's usually reserved for... Oh, this'll do it. Grey's Anatomy on ABC.
4: Oh, yeah. That's it.
3: And? And? The Big Bang Theory and Mom on CBS.
2: Oh, yeah. That'll definitely do it.
3: And unfortunately, I do not know what aired on Fox because TV Tango does not have that information. Oh, wait. It was American Idol.
4: Oh, yeah. It's the dying days of American Idol on Fox, but still American Idol. Uh
3: Uh-huh. So yeah, American Idol, Big Bang, and Grey's Anatomy. Bing, bang, boom. Against those three, you didn't have a chance even if you did want to make another season. But perhaps it's for the best that another season didn't happen. Because this show sort of read to me like the American version of... Broadchurch, in which you have a conflict, and you have a resolution, and anything else would just try and stretch the premise thin. Of course, they renewed Broadchurch for a second season, and we saw that bear out. By the way, we will be covering the American version of Broadchurch later this year. Not saying when, but it will coincide with a big anniversary. Just saying.
4: And if you know who was on the show,
3: yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Thoughts, guys?
2: I really wonder how they do a second season just because, again, the original Australian version was an eight-episode miniseries. Yeah, are they going to go on uh, talking about uh, the the birth of the child or the, the child's uh, younger years that was born in the final episode. I, I, I don't know where they could go with that. Really don't. So I just wonder if a, a second season just was never going to happen. If this essentially was a series, which really was just a veiled miniseries, if that makes any sense.
3: That totally makes sense.
2: Well,
4: after the slap, Okay. As I said, all anybody remembers this for is, like, the slap. And that's it. I mean, where else can you go after that?
3: Well, you see one couple's pursuit of justice, and you see one family falling apart. You know what? The question is right there, Greg. Where do you go from this? So, yeah, I guess they saw that in Australia, they took the story as long as it could go and decided, here in America, to go the same route. This would sort of set the table for other novels for television to come out. I remember this would be maybe uh, three or four years before the next big novel for television aired, which would be Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. Of course, they made the full mistake of renewing the show for subsequent seasons if you're going to do a novel for television, this is the way to do it. So what else can we say except...
4: The slap. It was remembered for one thing. That. And it was... a thing on TV. And you know what? I bet you... back in... 2015... Will Spiff was probably watching that. Seeing Zachary Quinto slap that kid and thought, you know what? I'm going to keep this in the back of my mind when I'll need this one day.
3: That's horrible, Greg. It's funny, but it's horrible.
2: I gotta agree with Tico, I'm sorry.
3: On both counts, <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening to that, um, I just want to apologize on Greg's behalf. He didn't know what he
2: was talking about. Well, while Greg goes to rinse his mouth out with soap for saying what he just said, bad Greg, you can go to our website at com, where we have our episodes, 349 previous episodes, plus all the mini shows, plus all the live shows. All the stuff that we've done is right there. And uh, don't forget on socials, we're at It Was a Thing on TV, on Instagram, on Twitter. But Facebook, well, unfortunately on Facebook, we made Mark Zuckerberg just a little mad. And he slapped us so hard, we added a podcast at the end of the name. So it's at It Was a Thing on TV podcast on Facebook. And on YouTube, we don't want you to ring that bell. We want you to slap that bell to stay up to date. With all the happenings on YouTube.
4: Yeah, because not only do we have all of our episodes on YouTube, but now we're starting themed playlists on YouTube.
3: Yep. You can take uh, all of your favorite episodes that have a singular theme, play them on YouTube, play them in the background, while you watch other forgotten television series. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I already have, like, a football-related playlist for the Super Bowl that just passed. By the way, we we'll are recording this two days before the Super Bowl, so to cover our bases, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs.
3: Yeah, way to win that Vince Lombardi trophy, Patrick Mahomes.
2: Way to win that Vince Lombardi trophy, Travis. Kelsey! Okay, can we just agree that ultimately the biggest winner of all is going to be Fox? Yes. They're getting all the advertising money, so they win in the end.
3: All that ad money and season two of Next Level Chef. But before we get to next Hold on. Hold (laughs) on. Before we
4: go on for next week, can I just say, Next Level Chef, that's basically Finders Keepers with Cooking and Gordon Ramsay.
3: I was thinking more along the lines of Funhouse, but yes.
4: But it's in a giant
3: house. Yes.
4: Okay, now, next week.
3: Okay, next week, we have, for our very first time, we are paying tribute to Black History Month with two episodes, both of which are legendary in the uh, African-American television diaspora. But before that, we have one more mini set. What happens when you have a gold dollar coin that you want to get the word out of? Who are you going to call? You're going to call the father of our country, of course, George Washington. Yeah. But who's going to voice George Washington?
4: Who is? Okay. Oh. You get Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. But you'll find out more about that later on it was a thing on tv thanks for listening for chico for mike i'm greg thank you for all 350 episodes and we'll see you for the next 350 row
0: from the makers of one of the most successful dramas in recent history comes the follow-up series the slap part two you know what they'd already started repairs so we couldn't even take it anywhere else Ah, oh, shit, the way they do that. Tell me about it. <laughs> Two and a half no. grand later Hi, and then... Daddy. Hey, 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 what's going on? It's mine, Daddy. Noah keeps taking away from me. Noah, give it back. No. Noah, give it back. No! I said give it back now. Ooh. Noah! <laughs> Larry, what the hell are you... Larry! Larry, you can't just... Oh, Larry. oh are you all right? you? Do... Larry! Right alright, what's going on here? Oh, sir, I'm a wrestler. Oh. Oh. oh! oh! The slap part two coming soon to Fox Ow! What the- He said
4: it! He said it! He said the line, y'all! He said he it! He said the line! He yeah! said it! Woo! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! All right. It's showtime. It's showtime. Mini SO 25, submission 1440. The Golden Dollar commercials from 2000. The Golden Dollar commercials from 2000 were a promotion by the U.S. Treasury Department to promote the dollar coin in 2000. Well, Chico, it's President's Day. Yes, sir. Yeah, President's Day coming up. It's a great time. We get to honor all the presidents. Well, not all the presidents, because there's some presidents that really... Do we really need to talk about William Henry Harrison, who died in 30 days?
3: That is his legacy. And
0: that his is legacy his...
4: Yeah, his legacy is he got pneumonia and he died 30 days after becoming president. That is his newfound glory, and that is his legacy. Like, does anyone really care about Calvin Coolidge? No. Keep cool with Coolidge? Yeah. Or Rutherford B. Hayes? You know what I say about those guys? Get
0: that garbage out of here! None of that you-know-what!
3: Ironically, using a Bit from a Canadian basketball team. Yes. To talk about American <laughs> presidents. We are the lackluster presidents. You won't find our faces on dollars or cents.
4: Oh yeah, the classic Simpsons bit with the mediocre
3: presidents. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the dollar coin. Which also did not have a president on it. But before we talk about the dollar coin we should probably go over a very brief history of the dollar as a coin now if i'm not mistaken coins predate paper money
4: okay well i'm on truth by consensus wikipedia it's got the history of the dollar point right here so according to truth by consensus wikipedia the dollar coin was first minted in the U.S. in 1794.
3: You know they had the dollar as gold, as silver, and as also base metal. However, base metal dollar coins minted from 1971 onwards. You're talking about the, uh, you're talking about the Susan B. Anthony dollars, the Eisenhower dollars, the American Silver Eagle dollars, and the Sacagawea Dollars, they did not circulate as widely as other forms of currency because the corresponding dollar bills, the paper money, as it were, continue to be circulated. Yes. Although, I should note,
4: though, in one of my former places of employment, I used to work nearby like a ice cream machine and like sometimes you inserted like a $5 bill in it for the change, like instead of like quarters, because that would make no sense to get like eight or nine quarters or whatever. They would give you
3: dollar coins. They would give you dollar coins. Yes. Now, I have been in many a casino in my day, and I've never seen somebody issue those dollar coins. It's always been in paper. But I guess they would, you know, do transactions in mostly paper, so it would only make sense. But you would probably have a more profitable return or a more popular return on dollar coins if you would have taken the dollar, the paper dollar, out of circulation. However, and this is according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, dollar coins around the world have largely succeeded because of a removal or a lack of corresponding paper issues whereas the US government has taken no action to remove the paper dollar bill with the government accountability office stating going on record that discontinuing the dollar bill in favor of the dollar coin would save the US government approximately 5.5 billion over 30 years through seniorage, The Fed has refused to order the coin from the mint for distribution, citing a lack of demand. So, as a result, most of the $2.4 billion coins minted in the previous five years are not in circulation. Okay, so what does that have to do with this episode? Well, obviously, uh, they wanted to gin up popularity and support for a dollar coin, which was just minted in the hopes of saving that $5.5 billion. So who do they get to chin up support than the father of our country himself, George Washington? Yeah. Who would have been the ideal spokesman for the dollar coin if he wasn't so dead. And considering
4: this is the new golden dollar coin with Sacagawea, or as Tom Bercheron once said on Hollywood Squares, Sacajawea, and I have the clip. I'll play it
2: right here. Ben Stein, ben Stein for the win. For the win. Yeah. All right, if you were on the Lewis and Clark expedition and asked a 16-year-old girl named Sakajawa why she was there. Sacagawea.
0: Sakajawa is in the per
1: view version of Star Wars, but that's
2: another thing.
3: Good job, Tom. Good effort. Good job. So
4: we got George Washington back from the dead to promote this coin, but who's going to provide the voice of George Washington for
3: this commercial? Who sounds presidential enough in 2000? I don't know. I don't know of anybody who sounds like a president in 2000. Hell, the president we elected in 2000 didn't sound presidential enough. No.
1: I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully.
4: Say what you will about George W. Bush. And there's a lot of things we can say about George W. Bush. But at least he found something he was good at later in his
3: life. He's quite the painter. Who do you get to sound at least presidential? You can't count on Peter Optimus Prime Cullen or Frank Megatron Walker or Mel Blank, who is equally dead. So you need somebody who sounds both ancient and also current. Ancient... Current. We can get a guy who played an undead bioexorcist. Oh, that's right. You could get
4: Batman. I'm Batman. Yes, Michael Keaton. So they got Michael Keaton to voice George Washington to hype the crap out of this dollar coin. All right. So let's go. We got two of these. They made two of these commercials. The U.S. bid wanted everyone to get hyped for this dollar coin. So let's hear these
0: commercials. Okay, so I'm not on the new golden dollar coin. That's cool with me. I've got places to go and I've got people to meet. Anyway, the new coin is perfectly all right without me. In fact, I use it everywhere. Thanks. so money introducing the new golden dollar is changing the face of money besides i still look good on paper
4: damn you look good george he doesn't look a day over 250 i love the fact that george washington would just be hanging out in a club
3: in 2000 and scuba diving are we forgetting scuba diving that's right he'd be scuba diving it's like now that he's you know not relegated to A, running the country, or B, appearing on paper money, he's up there living his best life. But okay, here's one thing that dates this ad so much,
4: Chico. Okay. Toll booths where you have to give the change
3: in the thing. Exact change? This is before the age of... I guess it would be, in my neck of the woods, NC Quick Pass. Or Easy Pass. Or Easy Pass. Yeah.
4: I remember, like, when Easy Pass was, like, first a thing here in New York in, like, 2002, 2003. Like, when my brother got the Easy Pass, it was, like, one or two lanes. We thought we were such hot (laughs) Like, ooh, look at us. We got Easy Pass.
3: We don't have to go through these lines. (laughs) Ha, ha. Uh, yeah, then everybody got easy pass. Now how you going to act? Yeah, now everybody has easy pass.
4: I don't even think there's anybody manning a toll booth anymore.
3: No, they don't have toll booths anymore. They have these big gates, you know? You drive through the gate, and they capture your license plate on a camera, and they also uh, capture your easy pass. And if you have easy pass, you're good to go. If you don't have easy pass and your license plate comes up, they'll mail you a bill. And they will make you pay that money. And they don't take the dollar coin, ironically enough. Hell, they don't even take paper money. They'll be lucky if you find one that takes a check. You gotta do it online now.
4: Could you pay in crypto? (sighs) That is a good question. Anyway, the answer is probably nope. Okay, now we got commercial number
0: two. So, they've got this new golden dollar coin. I know what you're thinking. Why isn't George on it? Well, appearing on Money isn't my only gig. Less than five miles by land. I am president of my book club. One, two, three, and I teach. And change. Anyway, the coin's totally cool without me. Houston we have a dollar introducing the new golden dollar it's changing the face of money hey change happens
3: i guess the one message that nobody you know passed on in these commercials is how change is good i'm lost in the message of appearing in a subway and being the president of a book club and exploring outer space yeah, for some reason, George Washington is in outer space. Yeah. Don't know why. Not even, not even going to lie. I, I have no idea. And I don't think anybody else has any idea as to what good are these dollar coins. I mean, because we're intelligent people who stand upright and have a heart and feelings that, you know, these are are going to save the government money. They're going to save your wallet space because now you can just put the dollars in your little change purses. Then again, this is before the time of Google Pay and Apple Pay and whatnot. Like, plastic? Who needs plastic when you got your credit card on your phone? But that didn't stop the uh U.S. government from trying to make dollar coins happen because we had the Sacagawea dollar, which is still legal tender, by the way. If you pay in a gold dollar coin, they have to take it. But then they tried doing the presidential dollar coin, but I don't believe that they had a a,
4: rollout, a press rollout for that. No, I remember like randomly seeing a presidential dollar coin when I was at work one day, and I'm like, they got rid of Sacagawea on the coin? Poor Sacagawea, what did she ever do to anybody? She guided Lewis and Clark through the freaking
3: wilderness. If it weren't for Sacagawea, you know what Lewis and Clark would be doing? Getting lost somewhere near Canada.
4: Yeah. And God knows what would happen if they went to Canada, how different history would be. How different would history be indeed? But what did we learn from this? We learned George Washington likes to party. We know he's an avid reader. We know he likes to go to, like, the coffee shop.
3: He's a man of the people. Oh, yeah, he's a man of the people. Yeah. And you know what? I remember the History Channel uh, Presidents series when History Channel did little... uh. Bit Bing's. on all of the presidents. Oh yeah, didn't they have like a countdown of the greatest presidents ever? No, they did a thing on all of the presidents. It was released on a box set. I actually reviewed it when I was studying for Jeopardy. Oh, real? Was this VHS or DVD? It was on DVD. Yeah. Oh. And, how did and I, I not know that? This? Yeah, I learned that, you know, aside George Washington, aside from being first in war, first in peace, and first in the heart of his countrymen, he was also quite the patron of the arts. And he oh. loved dancing. Oh, so, wow. So George Washington would have been great on
4: dancing with the stars.
3: He would have. He would probably would have won the whole thing. Who's gonna vote against George Washington? Oh, I know Bruno's not gonna vote against George Washington. But yeah, the beauty of these commercials is that they totally rate with history. Doesn't say much about the coin other than that it exists, though.
4: Yeah, but unfortunately in 2000, the golden dollar coin commercials with Michael Keaton as the voice of George Washington. Another example of trying to make fetch happen. And it just became a
3: thing on TV. Join us in 18 years when we do the American Innovation Dollar Coins from 2018. All right. Well, that's going to do it for
4: this video. And we'll see you, of course, with some more stuff down the pike real soon. Wow.
0: Have Having trouble with a living? You tired of having your home space violated? You want to get rid of them pesky living critters once and for all? Well, come on down and see me, folks, because I'm the afternobs leading bio exorcist. Yes, sir, Come on down here, and I want to tell you, I'll do anything. I'll scare them real bad. The point is, folks, I'm going to do anything to get your business. Hell, I'll possess myself if I got a... Whoa! Yo, I got demons running all through me. All through me. Come on down here and see it. And hey, back now, you get a free demon possession with every exorcism. Now, you can't beat that, can't you? Now, bring a little parts down here. Hell, we got plenty of snakes and lizards for them to play with. There's no problem with that at all. So, see you once. Say it twice, third time's the charm, and remember, I'll eat anything you want me to eat, I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Come on down now! Chew on a dog!
3: Sorry, Greg, he does a better howl than you did. Oh, well.
4: I'm sorry, Beetlejuice, because as we all know, Beetlejuice does it much better than me. Oh, crap, I said it twice! Say it one more time. Say it one more time. Say it one more time. Nope.